Welcome to the daily objective. It's the last Thursday of the month. So today is the day when we recommend the books that we've read this month and the books that we found uh, appealing and we found worth sharing. So I should be joined by Amanda and Mark, but if not, I'll just share the books that I've read. So this month, one of the books that I've read is one of the best, probably in the definitely the top 10 self-development books I've ever read. And it's a book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. It's by Bill Walsh, by coach Bill Walsh. So he's an NFL coach, what you people in the States probably call football coach. And it is his lessons on leadership. So he was a he was a coach and then when he retired because of the great work that he that he actually did he became also a leadership teacher he was invited in companies and he has collected all his thoughts his notes but also notes from people who knew him in this book so just to tell you some background about what bill walsh actually did because this will make even more impressive the things that we'll see the book in the book so at some point the san francisco 49ers was in disarray as a team their record was 2-14 two victories 14 losses so that's when they hired uh, bill walsh so bill walsh the moment he joined the team he said look i cannot promise you better results. Why? Because results on the field are not only based on ourselves. There's also an opponent. We might radically improve and the opponent also might radically improve. But I can make sure one thing, that I will impose a better working system in the team. Again, the team was in disarray. There was no discipline. Uh, small things were all over the place, like the dressing rooms where didn't have heating, things like that. So from day one, Walls starts with implementing his standard of performance. The standard of performance was a folder with uh, his rules, and he tried to create a new culture in the team. So the idea was we take care of every detail, how we look, how we present ourselves, how we interact with each other, how we interact with every single person. Even the cleaners, even the people who pick up the phones, they're all part of the team. So we start becoming more conscious and more aware of every single thing that we do. So you might have heard me, I think it was last month, when I talked about the compound effect or when I talked about atomic habits, where they have the same message, which is you make very small changes and these small changes pile up and then they bring a good result. What you notice in good self-development books is most of them recycle the same good ideas in a different package. Why? Because most people who succeed, succeed by following some good ideas. So what happens when Bill Walsh uh, introduces his standard of performance and pays attention to all these very, very, very small details? I mentioned some details that are irrelevant with what was actually happening in the field but also he changed the offense of the team. But if you don't follow American football, the book will still make change, will still make sense. So next season, so remember, when he joined the team, the team had the 2-14 record. Next season, so in his first season, the team had exactly the same record. Their record was 2-14. 
And yet something had changed. The team was playing better and the, or the whole organization, the whole club of the 49ers was operating in a better way. But the score didn't change. The overall record didn't change. And not only didn't change, it was pathetic, 2-14. Yet everyone inside the team sensed that at some point the results will come. The score will indeed take care of itself. And this is what actually happened. A year later, they won the Super Bowl. A year later, they managed to go from a losing team to winning the title. And he won, I think, way more Super Bowls in the future. So what is the main takeaway from this book? The main takeaway from this book is that there are things that are not in your control, but there are also things that are 100% in your control. And whether you win or not, again, it's not in your control, but whether you develop and improve is within your control. So Wall's philosophy is, it's not that when we find ourselves playing an important game, somehow magically we will rise up to the occasion. You don't rise up to the occasion. You fall to the levels of your habits, as we said in the previous episode. To put differently, you fall to the level of the things that you are used to doing. So have we trained for two years the same offense with the same fundamentals, starting with the same passing uh, patterns and all that stuff? Then also we're going to do this in the big game. And indeed, this is what happened. So creating patterns, creating routines, creating a system is the main message of this book. And if you do these things, you cannot lose. You will definitely improve. How much you'll improve, who knows? But the result has to be at some point better because you're doing the right things. So keep doing the right things. And then these right things are going to lead you to better results. Now, if you read the book, there are many anecdotes, stories, leadership uh, leadership lessons. One of the things that I found the most interesting one and of which I'm 100% in accordance is in, in agreement is his claim that we overestimate this whole idea of a leader being a motivator and giving a pep talk. So you might have seen films like uh, uh, Any Given Friday or Saturday Nights, Friday Nights Light. Anyway, I, I don't remember. I, I'm not so good in American football, but or in films about sports in general. And the main scene, theme, scene is that the coach is giving this motivating talk. His, uh, the troops are now excited and they burst in the game and they win. And Bill Wall says, yeah, sometimes I would also try to wake them up or whatever, but overall this is super overrated. Why? Because the whole motivation lasts for some minutes. When you're in the field, again, what do you do? The things that you're used to doing, the patterns, the systems, that you're either good at or you're not good at. Your level of motivation might make a small difference on the margins every now and then, but usually it's not going to bring you that far. And following sports, I can tell you this, there are teams that live for specific games. So let's say you have a really bad season and then you play with your eternal rival and you see red and you go in and you destroy them. Okay, who cares? At the end of the season, they're going to win the title. You're going to have a losing record. So his point is, don't focus on hype. Don't focus too much on 
this overexcitement, focus on having a system, focus on training well, being always overprepared, and the score will take care of itself. So this is the first book that I wanted to recommend this month. And let me also have a look at the chat. Many thanks to Marilyn and many thanks to Bonnie for your comments and Marilyn for your suggestion. So you say Moneyball, Moneyball is a good book. Now, I haven't read the book. I've read, I've watched the film. I like the film so much that I've watched it two times or maybe three times. And because I love sports-related stories, again, what's the lesson also from Moneyball? Have a system, have a method, and then the results will come. Also great uh, acting by Brad Pitt. He's very good in that in that film. Okay, the second film I want, so the second book I want to suggest is not a is not a non-fiction book, is a fiction book. So I mentioned in the past Stephen Pressfield, the author of The War of Art and Turning Pro. I've read Turning Pro or I've listened to it three times in three months, something like that. So it's in the top three books I've ever read when it comes to self-development. Turns out Stephen Pressfield has also written fiction books. And I've had one of these on his books for almost 20 years. It's a book called The Virtue of War. This is the, the Greek uh, translation. And I've never read it. But the other day I saw it and I said, hey, I have a book by Stephen Pressfield. I didn't even know this. So I read this book. This is a book about Alexander the Great. Alexander was the king of uh, Macedonia, of course, uh, the Greek Macedonia, not the confusion that later happened with uh, the name of this country and how it's used now by the state on the north uh, called the North Macedonia. We're talking about the ancient Greek Macedonia. So Alexander the Great was one of the biggest conquerors in history. He started from what today is the Greek uh, Macedonia, and he ended up in India. He started from the north of Greece, and he ended up in India. But also he was someone who saw himself as a man of culture. He had as his personal tutor Aristotle himself, and he saw he, his uh, campaign as a civilizing mission. Of course, you could disagree with that. Of course, you could say he was an imperialist, but he was definitely a very, very interesting personality. So what is this book about? This is a fictional account of Alexander the Great having something close to a diary, having something close to personal recollections. And he has someone who is his confidant. And towards the end of his campaign, he tells him the whole story. So you could read this book for two reasons, three reasons, actually. It's a very good account of Alexander's psyche, of his inner world. So if you're interested in Alexander the Great, this is a very interesting book. It's also a very interesting book on the reality of war, on the psychology of war. Like, how is it to go to, how is it the night before a war? How did people prepare for a war? What would happen after a war? So you get court seat the uh, uh, courtside seat so to speak in one of the biggest and most glorious campaigns in the history of humanity but there's also a lesson there which is very very interesting no matter how brilliant you are and alexander was a god of war he was an unprecedented maybe 
strategist, warrior, however you want to call it. Going after power is going to have a corrupting effect in your life. So here again, we we come back time and again to what Ayn Rand said that not everything that you do is that you do seemingly for yourself and for your own glory is selfish. Actually, being selfish requires a lot of work and a lot of effort. So Alexander is after power, he's after glory, he's after virtue through battle. But what is happening towards the end? The more he conquers, the more he has existential questions, the more he has bitterness within his army bitterness among his friends among his brotherly friends bitterness among his most decorated generals his conflict with parmenion is very is very interesting so you also get the philosophical lesson from uh, from the book as you see alexander and his army getting deeper and deeper in asia but also getting deeper and deeper in this existential questions like what are we doing here why are we here who are we fighting for we haven't been home for uh, more than 10 years what is happening here so i definitely recommend this book uh, particularly if you're interested in alexander the great the weakness of the book is that because for pressfield apparently it's impossible not to write a very very good book maybe he did a bit of over research so sometimes there's a lot of details in the battle that particular uh, team attacked that particular flank and that particular general attacked this other flank. So feel free during the battles to do a bit of scheme reading. But again, if you want to know more about Alexander, this is a deep dive on his soul. So the book is The Virtues of War. And actually, uh, he has also written a book about the Battle of Thermopylae the battle uh, based on the film, you might have watched the film 300, and it's going to be the next fiction work of Stephen Pressfield. And I have a third option, which is not a new option. I'm just listening to it again. And this is Atomic Habits. I've already talked about this book, but let me tell you one thing. Reading it again, listening to it for a second time, I get more and more stuff out of it. So I find myself implementing changes in my life. So I've done at least two things in the last few days that are based on my second reading of the book. Things that I didn't really understand their gravitas in the first reading. Now that I'm doing the second reading, I really see them and I'm implementing these changes. And it's it's small things. One was to have a, a jug of water here because he says, if you want to create a new habit, make it uh, make it easy. And again, you could say, okay, that's so simple. Well, it's not simple like, until you do it. And I understood the dynamic of it. And indeed, I drink more water. The opposite of it is do it difficult. Make it, make it more difficult to engage in a bad habit. So in the last uh, couple of weeks, I've smoked a couple of uh, cigarettes. I had a packet of cigarettes then I wouldn't feel good. So I thought, you know what? I'll just throw it away. And it wasn't in front of me and it wasn't there. Again, that's not nuclear science, but it made my life slightly better. And the third thing, he talks about habit stacking. He talks about stacking habits together, putting one habit that you already have 
and adding a new habit close to it. So this makes it more possible that you will stick to that habit. So for example, if every morning you brew coffee and it takes 10 minutes for your coffee to brew, for example, if you try to find time to meditate during while the coffee is brewing, you're doing the brewing of the coffee anyway, so stick the meditation close to it. Or I found that I had the problem with fitting both uh, boxing and weightlifting to my schedule. So what I did is my boxing gym and my actual gym is literally 20 meters away. So every time I have boxing, I also go to the gym. Actually, the other way around. Every time I go to the gym before I, or I schedule my boxing uh, classes, I do one-on-one -on -one, so I have some flexibility. Otherwise, I'm not sure if I would be sticking with uh, the boxing classes. Now I'm in class something like 16, 17. Uh, so I think this habit stacking actually worked. So honorable mention to Atomic Habits, listening to it again, I get a lot of passion. Uh, I get a lot of uh, wisdom out of it. Okay, so Ali, thank you very much for your comments off topic what are your halloween plans <laughs> okay so i hate scary books i hate thriller books mystery eh, i'm a, i'm a bit boring with mystery i only like agatha christie or conan doyle the problem is that every 15 years okay no every 10 years i reread the major things by agatha christie so i let some time to pass so that I forget who is the murderer, what's the plot, and I reread them again. But mostly, uh, I read them during Christmas in my family house. So this is the thing. The other thing is Halloween is not big in Greece. Now it's kind of a thing. Some people do it, but we have the equivalent of the Rio Carnival, uh, the Carnival. So that's when we dress. And it's a bit different than Halloween. It's not so much that it's spooky. It's more that we do funny things and we party, and this is just before the 40 days of Lent, before Easter. So the equivalent of Halloween in Greece is, uh, is, is towards the end of, the, of winter. But thank you very much for your comment and your contribution. Okay, so this was perhaps the shortest daily objective, just 20 minutes, hopefully on the spot. So check out, if, if you take one thing away from this week, give a chance to the book, the score takes care of itself. Or if you don't want to read the book, go and do the cliff notes or whatever. It's one major idea, but if you pay attention to this idea, it's, it's, its effect is going to be significant. Talking about advice, I, I now have a YouTube channel, as I've said in the past. My first video was productivity lessons from Howard Rourke. And I also mentioned there uh, the score takes care of itself and I see work, I see Rourke actually implementing some of the things that Coach Wells is talking about, although obviously uh, Ayn Rand was writing almost half a century before Coach Wells wrote his book. Okay, that's all for today. Many thanks. Thanks also, Ashley. Oh, your grandfather was a boxer. Okay, uh, I wish I started boxing uh, actually earlier. It's very, it's, it's also important for your mind. Like when you're in a ring, 
even if the person opposite to you is your teacher and he's very respectful and he's not going to hurt you, it's an experience. You have to do something. It's this urgency. It's almost like meditation. I'm here in the now. I have to do something. You see the clock and you say, when will these three minutes pass? And they don't pass. And you just have to do something. You have to run. You have to cover. But you have to do something. So particularly for people who are averse of conflict, averse of risk, I would encourage you to engage in a combat sport, in a control environment, in an environment you trust. It's something which is very uh, very useful to write, except from the stuff, the practical skills that you learn on how to defend yourself and all that stuff. Okay. Oh, I go, I'm glad that people uh, know about uh, habits uh, stacking and how it helps. Again, this was from the book Atomic Habits. Okay. That's it. Every last Thursday of every month, we're going to be back with the books we've read. Usually more of us. Today's uh, people are uh, busy with other things, apparently. But next month, we'll be back. Thanks so much for keeping you company. Talk soon.